Hi, and welcome to episode 37 of the Untethered Podcast. Today, we have Joan Comrie joining us. Joan Dietrich Comrie received her BS and MS at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. She's the owner of Pediatric Feeding and Swallowing, located in St. Petersburg, Florida. After 10 years of working in the neonatal intensive care nursery, she started a large pediatric feeding and swallowing practice in Raleigh, North Carolina, which she had for 20 years until she moved to St. Petersburg in 2015. She has treated over 5,000 patients, focusing on infant feeding and swallowing. Her clinical expertise has enabled her to provide real examples used in her presentations at national and international conferences and workshops. She has guest lectured for UNC medical residents and graduate-level speech pathologists during pediatric grand rounds and physician meetings. She provides hands-on learning opportunities for feeding therapists and lactation consultants. Part of her mission is education for parents and professionals. She started Pediatric Feeding and Swallowing Academy, in which she is a live course for lactation consultants, and soon her course for feeding therapists will be available. Joan has also published an article in Seminars and Speech and Language on Infant Feeding. She has also responded to parent questions in the health section of News and Observer, Raleigh's newspaper, and in parent magazines. Her success is due in part to her STEP program, Systematic Therapeutic Eating Program, in which she breaks down the sensory and motor skills required for successful feeding and swallowing into understandable steps. When caregivers understand the process and how skills build on each other, they are more likely to follow the program. This compliance enables progression as quickly and as smoothly as possible. Quick disclaimer, all information, content, and material of this podcast are the opinions of the speakers and is for the informational purpose only and not intended to serve as a substitute for the consultation, diagnosis, and or medical treatment of a qualified healthcare provider. Welcome to the Untethered Podcast. I am your host, Hallie Balkin. I'm a certified orofacial myologist, feeding specialist, and mentor. This podcast is all about getting your questions answered and collaborating with colleagues to bring you the most up-to-date information in the orofacial myofunctional therapy, tethered oral tissue, and airway space. I challenge you to keep an open mind and join my mission to get this information out to the masses. Let's get started. This is a continuation of the interview from our last episode, so please go back and check out part one if you haven't listened yet. Now, you have a STEP program, right? Your your systematic therapeutic eating program. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, it's it's got several steps, and so I have it for breastfeeding or bottle feeding, so those steps, and then I also have it for for learning how to, so the steps are progressing you towards chewing. And so my bias is that spoon feeding, at least for the kids that I see. So I, I see anybody that's snagging on their typical development or, or having delays or compensating in ways that are not very functional for them. Um, I feel really strongly that spoon feeding is an advantage. Now I totally respect the baby led weaning process, but I wish a couple things would happen. I wish we changed the name because I don't think the baby needs to lead the process. I think they need to be in the driver's seat. Mm-hmm. Like we're providing the food, we're providing the supports, maybe body supports or whatever it is, but they're telling us um, like Ellen Satter. I don't know if you know her. She's a nutritionist out of Madison, mm-hmm. Wisconsin. That's where I went to school. Um, and you know, she talks about that division of responsibility, like our responsibility is to provide the good looking, healthy, safe foods. And I think what happens 
with some of the baby led weaning is that people get really excited and they provide foods that are not appropriate for the baby's skill. So if they're starting baby led weaning at six months and they're providing them a stock of broccoli, I don't think anything good is going to happen with that. Um, I, and I wish that because there's so beautiful things about baby led weaning, but it's interesting as I'm reading that, you know, learning about that, you know, process, which is what, like 10 years old or something like that. Yeah. yeah. When it first came out, it has definitely evolved, which is a good thing because when it very first came out, to me, it was a little scary because they showed all, you know, how to Heimlich and blah, blah, blah. And I'm thinking, but you shouldn't get your baby in a position that they're going to maybe be choking. And so in feeding therapy, probably because I'm a speech pathologist also, although I don't really do a lot of speech therapy, I'm almost almost always do feeding and swallowing, but choice making, which one do you want? Do you want, do you want a spoon? Do you want to feed it to yourself? You know, hand over hand, if the baby needs that support. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a few things that I think you need for, for, swallowing of more complex food and that is that you need to have and a lot of this is the Mayo work um, I'm not certified but I did take Daniel Garliner's mm-hmm. course a zillion years ago and is he How cool <laughs> I don't know but that's really I know, cool I, I was trying to surf that because I was like I wonder if that guy's still alive because I know I mean my oldest is 25 and I'm pretty sure I went before he was born because it was out of state whatever but it's really important to get that lingual propulsion. So when I see the picky eater kids that come through my office, they all have skill deficits. Mm-hmm. They just, they can laterally transfer that food, but they can't completely masticate it. And then once they even get it sort of chopped, chewed, they don't know how to swallow it appropriately. And I think what that puree does is it takes you from the infant suckle and suck swallow breathe pattern to getting good, you know, anterior medial posterior tongue elevation yes. to get a good swallow. Yeah. And if you don't, I think if you don't get that neutral tongue position and you don't get central tongue grooving, so a place for that puree to go, you're really going to have trouble with with more solid foods. Um, And so what my system does is break it down in really easy language that parents can understand. This is what I want you to look for because we're not going to transition to the next spot until we see that the baby is starting to do this. So I'm not going to be providing them anything they have to chew if I'm not seeing lateral tongue movements. Yeah. Um, And so if I don't, if I'm working hard to get lateral tongue wounds and I just can't get it, I look and see what their trunk is doing. And I watch them crawl because if they're crawling straight like this and there's no like hip rotation, they're not going to get that tongue. And so I'll pull out some of the things that I've learned from my OT and PT friends and just give them some guidance on how to start getting better trunk rotation and then make the referral if that's necessary. Sometimes they just need a little tweak of some ball work. Yeah. Like someone needs to show them how to do it the first time and then they might, you know, it kind of clicks, (laughs) but not always. Yeah. Get that activation because you know, your early feeding experience is the foundation for your speech development and your feeding development and all kinds of other stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're 
you know, I've had handfuls of babies that have gone through traditional baby led weaning and they come to me somewhere between 18 months and two years of age and they are so orally aversive. Mm -hmm. They won't look at a new food because mom said, you know, he would gag and vomit every time we gave him a new food. And I'm thinking, but why are you giving them that food? (laughs) Right. You're like, don't you think that's a sign? (laughs) Like how, especially when they get to the point of vomiting, because that gets gross and messy. Like that does not yeah. sound like much fun. No. And so then you have to like build the trust and yes. bring them back to feeling comfortable that their mouth is working and, and reset that whole sensory system. You know, the sensory motor component there, because now they just see certain foods and their brain just goes vomit. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. And then a lot of things that I'll seek because you know, at that age, if they if they tried breastfeeding and they failed or they didn't even try breastfeeding and they had a tongue tie, it wasn't addressed. All of a sudden we're chewing. Child doesn't really know how to chew. And they've got, they put a lot of food in their mouth and they use both sides of their chewers, the lateral bite surfaces at the same time because they don't know how to make that lateral transfer and they have scatter all over their mouth. I mean, those are a lot of the kind of typical things that we all see with with kids that have the tongue tie. Um, So you just really need to get, build those skills. And so, like I said, it goes through the process of moving yourself from a a smooth puree. And of course it incorporates helping self-feeding, giving child choices, letting them say when they want it, you know, not when they want to eat, because maybe it's, you know, they, they're sort of within boundaries, schedules. Like if the baby says, I don't want to eat, of course you're respecting that, but you want to sort of set up a little structure because that's really helpful, especially if you move into the toddler, into the toddler ages. But, you know, we're looking at what kind of skills does baby have? And I help really empower parents because you may see this I mean, you see the child just starts to learn how to chew some easy chewing food. And then all of a sudden they're giving them the entire buffet. Yeah. You know, at, <laughs> like they eat a baby mom, mom, or they chew like a little veggie straw. And then the next thing you know, they're giving them, you know, little pieces of steak and chicken. And I'm going, how did they get from this? To this? Yeah. Some children can handle it, but not the ones that I usually see. <laughs> right. Truly. And they can go from having a beautiful pattern on those and you'll see it in, in your older kids, right? You give them their junk food or a pretzel or whatever it is. And they have, beautiful chewing skills, but then you give them something more complex like broccoli or chicken off the grill and they just cannot deal with it. Yeah. And I like how you say chicken off the grill because, you know, a lot of parents go, they eat chicken. I'm like, I'm not talking about pre-chewed right. chicken nuggets. <laughs> I'm like, and I call them pre-chewed and the parents go, that's kind of gross. And I'm like, but if you think about it, it's like somebody already chewed it up and then reformed it for them. It's so totally <laughs> that doesn't count. <laughs> it definitely is pre-chewed. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, well, I love your step program. That sounds like it's very helpful for parents, I think, too, to understand why you're recommending what you recommend. And it kind of breaks it down into simpler steps in a way that they can see, oh, there's a there's a reason behind my recommendation. And then, you know, before we go from point A, to, we can't go point A to point C, we have to do B first. And they need to, you know, really master each step. Um, because I think a lot of parents just go, I just want, I just want to be able to go to a restaurant and not take a peanut butter jelly sandwich in my purse or, you know, like they have this end goal in mind or like, and how, 
quickly can we go from where we are now to you know them ordering off the kids menu or even eating something that I order off you know the regular menu so I think that's really great because it helps pace them as well and they really understand the goal in the program right because then they're not going to accidentally jump too far forward mm-hmm. to create mm-hmm. a very negative experience for that already super sensitive kid who then shuts yeah. down and won't eat yeah Yes, because we have had some of those, and those are not. Yeah, (laughs) even just an illness, right? Like getting the flu or even a cold can set some of our super sensitive kids. Oh yes, oh yes. Like four weeks, uh, you know, four weeks forward and seven weeks back. (laughs) Yes, so frustrating for everybody, right? Yeah, yeah. But the more they're involved in the process, and the more they understand it, and I'm not trying to teach them to be a speech pathologist. I'm just trying to give them. And a view because nobody looks at feeding, right? It's easy to see when a child goes from, you know, laying to sitting to crawling to walking, but from, you know, suckle patterns to lingual transport to chewing, we can't see any of that. Yeah, no, I think that's really helpful, especially, you know, you get, like we've talked about before, you go to the pediatrician's office and they're looking for their specific markers. And so the family again is kind of going, but the pediatrician said he's fine. And it's like, right but he's not fine. That's why you're here. So you know, I think it's, when he graduates from high school. Okay. Yeah. I think it's, <laughs> a, it's a great, you're right. Exactly. Or I love when like, you know, mom's been doing all this work for the child and the dad brings the child for a session and he goes, well, I have the same problem and I'm fine. And I'm like, but are you fine? Like if we actually break it down and how hard has life been? Can we make it a little bit easier for your child? <laughs> And let's talk in 20 years when you're right. snoring and your wife is about to like exactly. you up at night because you're mouth breathing still. Uh-huh, exactly. And that kind of goes back to that weight thing too. Even, you know, I've had, so in, in Raleigh, they had an obesity clinic and a lot of those kids came to me because they were, the, the goal was to help them choose more healthy foods. Uh-huh. But what I found was, you know, their weight was fine or too big, or even if you're talking about a kid that's not obese, if you're just looking at a typically chunky little kid or a regular size kid, that doesn't tell you anything about the nutrition. No. I mean, they could be living on Doritos and Ho-Hos for mm-hmm. all we know, and right. not like one piece of vegetable, fruit, or meat in their body. And so all of those kids had motor function and sensory based. They didn't like textures. Mm. Um, and as soon as we got them comfortable with their motor and their sensory plan, they were super willing. I didn't have to do a lot of the kissing and playing around and messing around with food because when they, their patterns worked and their swallows didn't hurt or get stuck yeah. anymore, they're super willing to try. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so interesting too, because I think it's, it's more the opposite. I get a lot of like babies who are underweight or falling or kids falling off the weight charts. And, you know, when we do get the kids who call because they have a list and then we do a myofunctional email and we tell them, well, you actually can't chew and swallow your food properly, but you know, and the S will come along because we're going to work on this first. And the parents are like, wait, we came to you for a sound. What are right. you talking about? Exactly. So we get a whole, you know, gamut of uh, different types of patients, but you know, I don't do the intake calls anymore, but every single time I would say to a parent, well, tell me about your child's diet. You know, like what are their favorite foods? What foods do they 
not eat that you wish they did eat or, you know, and they go, well, that's really interesting that you would ask. And then they start, you know, and they'll start telling me something and go, so do they tend to like foods like, you know, I'll just list out some foods and maybe they're more, you know, they might have some colors in their diet, but are they usually brown, beige, white, maybe some yellow cheese, you know? And, and they go, yeah, yeah. <laughs> how'd you know? <laughs> like, this is what I do all day, every day. <laughs> I'm like, this is just this hand in hand with everything else you're telling me. So I just had this wild guess that might be the case. I know. And usually I have parents that really want the children to move into the healthy foods. But I did have this one child, super picky eater. As he started getting more comfortable with his motor skills, he started wanting to transition into new foods. And he came into therapy and they were all excited to tell me that he tried a new food. So I'm thinking, what vegetable did he try or whatever? And they're like, he ate a donut. And I'm like, I was hoping we were going, but I'm so excited you tried a new food. I'm trying not to like be disappointed. But I'm like, poker face, keep my poker face on. But you know, you, it, it, I guess I didn't do a great job of really understanding where that family was nutritionally because I can't get him to ever eat broccoli if mom and dad never eat broccoli. Right, you know? right, yes. Yeah. Well, and I think I also, just being outside the DC metro area, we do have a lot of families who, when they're calling us for some of these services and, you know, also can afford to do the tongue tie release or put their child through expansion or, you know, because we're working with babies through adults for the myos, you know, we're doing myo with um, toddlers, four-year-olds really should say on up. And then more of the feeding therapy is, you know, babies and the younger kiddos and, um, so I think I'm, I'm a little spoiled because I think a lot of our families do source healthy ingredients and if they can't get their child yeah. to eat broccoli, they're trying to figure out how can I get it into their diet. And, um, but you know, we do, I do once in a while get a surprise with a family where I say, hey, I'll send a list of what I want them to bring to the evaluation. And, you know, and most of my families will come with like an organic yogurt and yeah. some organic or gluten-free dairy-free snacks or something crunchy, you know, and then I, I get the family that brings like Cheetos and soda and I'm like, maybe I should be more clear. Yeah. <laughs> this is, these are not goal foods, but they'll work for today's purposes. That's the whole thing about meeting them where they are. Yes, right? yes, like absolutely. We can't put our biases on them. We have to meet them where they are. And absolutely. then maybe through their experience with us, we can help expand. Mm -hmm. And that's not the typical patient that, I mean, that one just kind of threw me yeah. off. Yeah. I don't know that I've really experienced that in like 30, the 30 years I've been working. Or, yeah. It's fun work that we do. <laughs> love it. That's why we're here, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, this has been amazing. Is there anything else that you want to add that we haven't covered today? Well, I'd like to talk a little bit about what you put in your mouth changes your function. Yeah. And I'd like to talk about pacifiers for a quick okay. second. No, I didn't put that on my... No my worries. Let's topic. chat. But I love that topic. <laughs> I was riding my bike this morning and I'm like, what would I like people to really know that to think about? And so, you know, we have, and I only have two of them right here for everybody to look at. I don't know if you can see them, but yeah. one, you know, people tend to get these kind of pacifiers cause they're cute. Mm -hmm. And I, I just really am sad that these are so ugly. <laughs> for me, these are more functional because especially for the population I see almost all of them are compression dominant babies none of them have great socks none of them have really good tongue patterns and so they like to bite the neck of these pacifiers yeah. and then their tongue just kind of hangs out and does whatever and especially this orthodontic one you Which know orthodontic yeah <laughs> that pulls the tongue into a retracted position this one 
parents will say, well, I had that pacifier. They gave it to me in the hospital or maybe not, um, but they, they don't like it. And I'm like, why do you think they don't like it? Well, because they keep spitting it out. Because they can't hold it in their mouth. <laughs> I'm like, okay, well, let's look and see what they do. And I'm like, see, I, and then they get mad at it. And I'm like, think about maybe they're frustrated and they're not mad at the pacifier. Mm-hmm. They're frustrated that they don't have the sock to enable them to keep that pacifier in their mouth. Yeah. Because a lot of times what I see is when a baby can master this pacifier, they start using the correct patterns that make breastfeeding possible. Yeah. And so I'm like, this is just, you know, and you don't have to use a pacifier because I know some people are not about pacifiers. I think they have you know, good qualities. I think if you're two, you should not be, you know, I think use a pacifier for six months or less, and then you start your exit plan. And for people who can't see, who are listening, um, you're talking, you're recommending the Sudi pacifier. That's more rounded. You can put your finger in it. I use that with my kids, although my first one didn't really keep the pacifier in too long, but once she popped it out, we were like, okay, we're done. That was easy. Um, and and we use it. I, I actually use that therapeutically too to do glassy yes. pulls and to help yes. bring the tongue forward and, you know, and really you create, create the, 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 the rounding around that. And you can't do the same thing with those other ones that sometimes have cute little mustaches or whatever they put on them right. and cute little pictures and sayings no. or whatever. They're adorable, but they're not or they're really not orthodontic. <laughs> so right. yeah. They're kind of like sippy cups, yeah, right? Exactly. They're made for parents. That's right. They're cute. They're made for pictures, not for yes. function. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So certainly, yeah. And I like to use a pacifier a lot for a mom or a dad who just doesn't do a great job of reading a baby's cues. Mm-hmm. You have some parents that you can t- train some great oral function work and they can go home and use that home, home program and the baby comes back looking great. Mm-hmm. And then there's some that you give them a little program and the baby's so hypersensitive because they didn't realize that when the baby's eyes lift up and they are pulling back and gagging, that means stop, you know? Right, right, right. And they're like going further in and they're like, why isn't this working? <laughs> Yeah. Like, should I keep doing it if he's crying? No, 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 no. <laughs> no yeah. And then I guess, I, I don't know if you have any other thoughts on that. I want to show you one more thing. Yeah, no, go ahead. Or two keep more going. things actually. Yeah. Okay, hang on one second. I thought this was close. Um, I want to look at um, different bottles because there, I think there's so much confusion and so much marketing about the yeah, best yeah. bottle for breastfeeding kind of thing. Yeah. And um, my favorite, and I, I don't get any money from Dr. Brown's. Um, they don't give me anything. But my favorite bottle is like that more standard nipple. This is not a Dr. Brown's nipple. I didn't, I have those at work and I didn't bring them home. Yeah. I, I, I probably have one here. Keep talking. I'll go grab it. Okay. <laughs> And so I show parents like what I like about a Dr. Brown's is if you think of your thumb is the, about the length of an infant's tongue. If you put the, the thumb like where that nipple sits and it sits about right on that middle part of your thumb. And that's about where the hard soft palate juncture is or approximated. And if you take one of these fancy things and you put it here, they don't even get close to where that medial tongue would be. And so what can baby do? They have to bite, mm-hmm. right? They have to use a bitey pattern. So all of those made for breastfeeding. And when I, I did a talk, um, I don't have it with me, but I guess I could try to find it and maybe share it. Um, I looked at all 
the bottle, different bottles and what they said they were, you know, most like breast and whatever develop orthodontic and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, there's the, the, the Dr. beautiful Dr. Brown's. And, and that's, you know, and I think for people to see one of the things I learned early on was that this is great because they can fit the whole nipple in their mouth and their lips rest against the base the white right. face. And whereas most parents think, well, no, it should rest against the nipple. No, no. <laughs> this actually gives them some really great support, especially if you're having feeding challenges. So, right. and their lips flange really nicely on that, even though it yeah. looks like a skinny bottle, but it's not, yeah. they flange way better than the skinny bottle than these yeah. that don't provide any, I mean, it's like a, I mean, I guess maybe this could look more like a breast than that does, but it doesn't function like it at all. Yeah. And I'm sure and the doctor- you know, I've got some families, because a lot of lactation consultants around here will recommend some of the wide neck bottles, and families will say, oh, well, we tried your recommendation with Dr. Brown's, and it didn't work, and this one works better than that, the Lansino or whatever, you know, and I'm like, look, right. you use what works for you. I'm right. not saying one is better than the other, but I'm telling you that from what, from what I've seen over, you know, in my experience is- for a baby who has a normal feeding, you know, suck swallow breathe pattern and they're feeding well, this is the best that I've seen. And so for those children who also have, who have, you know, atypical patterns to try and get them feeding properly, right. this is going to give them the best support because it most mimics the movement that we want with, you know, it's not going to be the same as feeding from the breast ever right. when you're feeding from a bottle, yeah. which I think is a big misconception, right? But, you know, but this will give them the best support that a bottle, in my opinion, can give. Um, right. Or, you know, I know that there's the medical grade Dr. Brown bottles as well, which I don't have readily accessible right yeah. at the moment. But yeah, I like. Well, and if you hold that, you know, if you hold that bottle like a pencil and give the baby the jaw support mm -hmm. and use yeah. a good firm jaw support and a little resistance, you can start activating. And I tell parents, especially my breastfeeding moms, let's, I know you don't want to use a bottle, but for whatever reason, you're on a bottle right now and maybe breastfeeding as well. Yeah. But every time that bottle's used, let's use it as a therapy tool. Let's train the best, most active tongue patterns that we possibly can. Mm -hmm. So then you feel better about being on the bottle and, and hopefully that transition back to the breast is even faster. Yeah. And here's a really interesting story. I had a mom that I had seen early on, and then the baby did really well, exclusively breastfeeding a bottle when mom was at work. And then mom called me when the baby was six months old and starting to teethe. And she said, you know, he's starting to rip me up when I'm nursing. And I said, well, are the caregivers still doing the bottle technique that I taught you early on? And she's like, I don't know, I have to check. And so she she brought the baby in. I looked and I'm like, he's really more compression dominant than you want. That's why it's hurting. Let's make sure that they're using that, those techniques that you did early on. And she called me back in a week and said, beautiful. It worked. Mm. Like the baby just so continued to need those supportive procedures because now he's moving into a different transition period. Right. So, you know, that, that was very helpful for her. Yeah, so amazing. Yeah. And then one more thing I want to talk about, if you're okay, is yeah. we have time. We're, we're yeah, good. We're good. We're good. So, paste bottle feeding. Yes. So, I've done research on paste bottle feeding, and I have learned that there's not. Re it's kind of like we don't have a good, um, concrete way of analyzing tongue tie. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. There is no standard for paste bottle feeding. 
it was up to, you know, some would say like every 30 seconds, every 10 sucks, whatever, whatever. For me, as a speech pathologist, working on coordination of sex while a breed, my pacing technique is based on the baby's respiratory pattern and any other stressors that they're showing me through eyes, through eyebrows, through body movement. So I'm listening for that suck, swallow, breathe pattern, or sometimes it's suck, suck, swallow, breathe. I want to hear that like mm-hmm. pattern. And if I'm not hearing that, that's when I'm providing the pacing, regardless if they've taken one sip, suck, swallow, breathe, or they took 50, you know, based on what that baby's telling me. Because I find that when you're bringing the baby upright and you're pulling the nipple out and you're putting it back in and you're relatching For some babies, that sensory experience is too overwhelming. And also, if you pull that nipple out and the baby has a mouth full of milk, they're more likely to choke. Yeah. So I like to keep the nipple in the mouth and just bring the baby upright, make them take a breathing break. Once they realize there's no milk, they're going to stop sucking. And remember, the only way to swallow air is to swallow. Okay? Just sucking. (sighs) you're not swallowing anything. So you're, you know, everybody's like, oh, they're swallowing air. I'm like, they're swallowing air when they're going, oh, oh, oh. Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> Those hard, hard, uncoordinated swallows, those are air swallows, right? And so if we can get them paced based on what the baby's telling us they need, based rather than like this random, I'm going to pace you every X amount of time or socks or whatever, whomever decided what their definition of pace feeding is. I think then we can really do a better job of reducing that aerophasia and making baby more coordinated and give them more effective um, sucking patterns so that they can be successful breastfeeders or bottle feeders, whatever they, you know, whatever the moms are choosing or the babies are choosing. That, that's good. I like that. I like that. That's, that's, <laughs> that's a really good one. <laughs> Thank you. Now, and you know, it's so funny because I never stopped to describe it that way to a parent or to say, you know, but I would, I would kind of show them like, this is how I'm going to pace your baby. Watch what I do. Oh, did you see? And and the parents would say, oh my gosh, like his eyebrows are getting red. And I'm like, well, that's an airway thing. He's telling us that he's, he's not coordinated with his breathing. If we're not seeing a response somewhere on the face. And so what I've started, what, not what I've started, what I do with my families is I try to show them, look at baby's reaction. If baby just looks calm, cool, and collected, like they, they're just, you know, like no big thing, keep going, you know, if they seem okay, if you hear that suck, swallow, breathe, you can keep going. But if you start to hear, you know, suck, 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 swallow, you know, and you're not hearing the breath or they're, you know, because I've had babies too, where we question, do they have laryngomalacia? Do they? And one ENT says yes. And another ENT says no. And I'm like, well, this is not helpful. And really there's not much that we can do for baby at the moment uh, if they're not going in for surgery other than help them feed the exactly. best that we possibly can and work on yeah. their, you know, motor and sensory system. So you know, so it's, that is interesting because that is typically what I do is I kind of follow baby's lead. And I tell parents, you know, pace as you feel like baby needs to pace. And let's look at this because, you know, every child is different, but you know, I can even think of one off the top of my head where he would just, and nobody else seemed to see it except for mom and I, and mom would take videos to be like, look, this is what happens. Like you would see his eyes, like, you know, bug real big and his, he'd start sweating and his face would get red blotches around his eyebrows. And, um, you know, and when you start to see those things, that's, that's a good indication. You should right. be 
Be like, I really want to catch it before we get to this. Right, we, right, exactly. So now, like, how do we prevent that from happening? Exactly. And so I like that whole, it's not every three sucks, swallow, breathes. It's right. whenever baby needs it. I think that's a really, really good, you know, way of putting it versus, you know, I probably made it really complicated in my description of going, let's just look at baby. And if we feel like baby is starting to have a hard time breathing, you know, give him a, give him a moment. <laughs> and I like how you said you bring baby up too, rather than pulling the bottle out. Because I think when you pull the bottle out, baby tries to follow it. And that's also going to throw the airway off because now we're, you know, what are we doing? We're sending them into. <laughs> right. So that's, yeah. I like that. I like that tip. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, and I think it, you know, this is full circle, right? We've got the infant driven feeding. We've got the, ch to me, baby led weaning is really infant driven feeding, mm -hmm. you know, helping them through those milestones, looking at their cues. Yeah. What are they telling us? They may not be using words, but they are definitely communicating. Yeah. Well, and I think Jill Raven and I just recorded an episode recently where she referred to it as modified baby leg weaning. And I liked that too, because I think, yes, there is some, there are some pieces of the program that I think can be helpful. But like you mentioned, there's also a place for purees and spoon feeding. And we need to make sure baby has the skills in place before we ever give them whatever it is we decided we're going to give them. So, you know, that's why there is a hierarchy and a progression in right. feeding. And that's why we typically recommend you start with, you know, a puree and then make it a little chunkier. And that, you know, before right. we just hand them a stock of broccoli, <laughs> so, exactly. you know, so yes, I think, um, I think most speech pathologists in the feeding world would agree with you that, um, baby led weaning in a modified way. And really, I don't think baby's leading the way per se. I think that it's a partnership and we're really leading the way, but baby is telling us what they're ready for or not for. And yeah. we're respecting what baby's communicating to us in that Making experience. the choices. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So thank that's, you. That's a good, good point. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. This has been amazing. Any other last, last? No, I, I know I threw a bunch of stuff. In. No, I love it. I think this will be great. And as I mentioned before, this will be obviously up on the podcast, but we'll also put this on YouTube um, so that everybody, you know, can go and watch and see those amazing tips that you shared with us um, towards the end of the, the episode today. That was really helpful. We'll also put in um, your website and your YouTube channel. We'll put that in the show notes and anything else we discussed today, we'll, we'll put in the show notes as well. So everybody has access to all of that wonderful information. Okay. And then I, I don't know that we talked about, I, I have a, another website, um, Feeding and Swallowing Academy. Yeah. Where I have already recorded a 17 hour course for lactation consultants. Okay. And I'm not trying to make them be speech pathologists. I'm just trying to help them bridge the gap between what they need to look for so that they can make those referrals to someone like us that have yeah. the expertise and really get an understanding. Because I, uh, I've taken the course and I've actually taught the, in Raleigh, um, two um, very well known lactation consultants did. The did a course before the L IBCLCs took their exam, and I was lucky enough to um, have a day to present on these kind of things that none of them understand or even learn about. And I think it's so important that they at least get a glimpse of what you need to look for yes. to make things more successful. 
Yeah, no, I think that is fantastic. So yeah, we will put that in there. Swallowing, um, there's a pediatric feeding and swallowing academy.com. We'll definitely include that in the show notes as well for everybody. Um, and, and like you said, we all talk about, and I talk about this all the time, team approach, team approach, team approach. But if you don't know why or when to refer to somebody else on the team, then there's no team approach. So I think that's really fantastic. And um, thank you for creating that because that's something that I will definitely share with lactation consultants that I, you know, that I collaborate with. Um, I think they would probably find a lot of value in that resource. Yeah. And I know you talk a lot about that team approach and I tell you, you know, being in Raleigh for so long, I had such a great team. I didn't even have to think about it. Yeah. Now coming here to Florida where people don't even realize that there can be somebody that's not in a hospital intensive program that does feeding therapy, you're having to build your bridges and get your network. And I tell you, it's, it's a lot of work. It is. You know? Yeah. But it's, of course, something you need to do. And it's so rewarding just by learning new people and new perspectives and we all have a piece of that puzzle. We just see it from different approaches, which is so awesome. Yeah. Well, and as my specialty has changed over the past 10 years, and as I become more niched down in the feeding world and my own world, creating my team, some of it fell easily into my lap and then other pieces I'm still working on. And so while we say team approach, you know, we do the best with the resources we have at hand in the given moment, the, you know, the best we can do for our patients. And, um, you know, just today I got another call from an orthodontist in DC. And last week I got a call from an orthodontist in DC and a dentist and the week before, and I'm going to talk to another dentist on Friday. And it's like, they're slowly starting to find me. And it's like, I don't know where I'm going to put all these people, but <laughs> you know, it's, but it's great because I think that the more we get this information out there, which was the whole purpose of me starting this, this podcast, right. um, the more people will even start to seek us out because the more they'll realize, oh, there are other ways that we can help our patients and I don't have to do it all by myself, <laughs> which right. I think is also sometimes a relief. So, um, so yes, team approach. I say that like it's an easy thing, but it does take a lot of work to put that team yeah. together. So that is a very valid point. And speaking of that, if anyone has a good airway centric ENT in the Tampa, St. Petersburg, even Orlando area, if they could let me know, because I'm desperately needing one to send some, some kids and some kids too. So I would, if anybody's aware, I've, I've already posted it on several different Facebook sites and I yeah. haven't even had one person respond. So well, if anything comes through here, I'll forward you the email. That's great. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, Joan. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on today. It's been wonderful getting to know you as well. Yes. Thank, thank you. you. Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you want to hear more of these Mayo Tots airway and feeding related episodes, be sure to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or pledge a small amount on patreon.com forward slash the untethered podcast. If you found value, others you know in this space will too. So be sure to share this episode on your social media platforms and join us over on Facebook, on my Facebook page at Hallie Balkan Biz, on Instagram at, at Hallie Balkan. And you can head over to untetheredpodcast.com to grab a copy of the show notes where you can also also subscribe to be kept up to date on the latest podcast episodes. Big shout out to Dana McKay, podcaster extraordinaire for editing and helping me keep this podcast alive.